Today our text comes to us from John's gospel, the first chapter, and we hear about God's heart to truly know us. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, in our text today, uh, this week in our study, we pulled out so many things uh, that I could talk about uh, for hours in here. Uh, And because I preached at 8 o'clock, I had to do a shorter version. But since you're here at 11 and we've got nothing else to do after, (laughs) you guys are blessed abundantly. And I'll do the same thing. I really want to focus, even though there are so many different amazing pieces about this text, I want to focus on how Jesus knew Nathaniel. Not just about him, but knew him, who he really is. Because that lets us know that God really knows you, everything about you. And that's a good thing. So we start with this discovering the heart of God idea that we started last week. And last week we started with this heart of a king, and we found out that the heart of our king is nothing at all like the heart of King Herod that was oppressive and and dangerous, but rather the heart of a king for Jesus is that of a shepherd who brings peace in troubled times. And today we see this heart of God revealed to us with the heart to know us intimately, the heart of God. You see, God cares about you so much. He he knows about the number of hairs on your head. He knows about the number of cares in your heart. He truly, deeply knows you. And if we think about it, if we're honest with ourselves, I think that, that all of us have a need to be loved, right? We, we, we long to be loved and valued and appreciated. And in order for us to be fully loved, I would argue that we have to be fully known. Because if you just know parts about me, but you don't know the, the bad, you don't know all the good, you just know parts of me, you don't really know me. And if you don't really know me, then you just love parts of me. You don't love me. In order to be truly loved, you have to be truly known. And in order to be truly known, well, that can be scary, can be intimidating. Because most of us, we like to hide little bits and pieces of who we are. 
Because if you knew the, the real picture, if you knew everything, then you would not like me. You would run away screaming. But Jesus, well, he's, he's different. He knows everything about us, the good, the bad, the ugly, and still he loves us. See, when we get brought into a truthful relationship with God, and we start to feel more and more comfortable having truthful relationships with each other, to be more and more transparent with each other. And we, we build relationships that experience and share God more fully with one another. We establish this vulnerability and a willingness to share everything. And we build strong bonds that can help us through times of difficulty. We all have this need to be known. And God knows us fully. He knows all of our troubles, all the things that bother us, that weigh us down, that, that burden us, our cares and concerns. And He also knows all of our shortcomings, all of the times we've fallen short and missed the mark. And still, still He loves us. Right? Scripture reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ came for us. Knowing you fully, He still loves you. And not only does He love you, but He calls you to follow Him, like He did the early disciples in our text today when He says, follow me. And what's it mean to follow Jesus? And I think if we ask that question and if we're, we, we really reflect on that, I think that we'd probably get a wide range of answers, what it means to follow Jesus, all the way from, well, I know who He is and I try really hard to be a good person, to I, I go to church on a regular basis, and that's like once a month, I go regularly, or it's, man, I'm there all the time, working my tail off for God and His kingdom. I, I encounter this transformed life of freedom that I know Jesus has fulfilled the law completely in my place, and He's set me free to live in that law and actually love it and enjoy it. But He's given me this transformed life of joy that I worship God with, 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 with joy in my heart, knowing that this is not a burden to be Christian, but it is a joy, and in fact, I can even rejoice in my struggles. I have this transformed life of sacrifice that I, I live for the kingdom of God to, to sacrifice my life, my labor, my influence, my finances, and my expertise I give to Him. And I love this transformed life of renewal that I live regularly in the grace of God, share the grace of God with others, and allow God to transform my life to be more like His. Right, that's the other end of the spectrum. And we're probably, all of us, somewhere in, in, in the middle of that spectrum someplace to follow Jesus. And Jesus gives that invitation to us today. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to NPR, and there was a story on NPR of a man in India who noticed that, that the, the primary river in India was, was struggling, was sick, was unhealthy. And he longed to know how to make this river experience healing. And the way that he knew to do that was just to take time to walk the river. And so he walks this river 
because by walking the river, it enabled him to have conversations with people at a slow pace, and he got to know the people who lived in and around the river, who, who interacted with the river, and he got to know their life stories, and that's what happens when you walk with somebody. Jesus is very, very similar to that man in this regard, as he came to earth to walk the river of life with us, to walk. Everywhere Jesus went, he was walking. He didn't have transportation. He just had his feet, and he would walk, and he would invite people to follow him. And as they followed him, they would walk with him, and he would teach them and share with him his heart, and they would get to know his heart as he already knew theirs. And Jesus, walking this land with us, did so with the purpose of bringing healing to us. And so Jesus invites Philip to walk with him in life. He was constantly walking. Jesus says to Nathanael, as Nathanael's coming up to meet him, Jesus says, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. And here we get a glimpse of the heart of God, the heart to really know who Nathanael is. And Jesus knows Nathanael. I mean, he knows Nathanael so much. I mean, think about this. He helped create Nathanael. He knows Nathanael so intimately, so deeply. Not just to know, but like to know who he is, to really get and understand. And that's, that's what Jesus does, is he seeks to know all of us deeply and personally. And we appreciate being known, right? We want to be known and understood. We want people to get who we are, regardless of, regardless of who you are. If, if, you're a, if you're a wallflower and you have a hard time getting your thoughts and your ideas out and expressing them, you still have this great deep desire to be known. If you have no problem at all just boldly sharing what you know and what you believe and what you think, your feelings matter and you still have a need to be known and valued for what it is that you believe. If you struggle with things that are invisible, like mental health or chronic pain, you have a need to know that other people know and understand what it is that you're going through. Right? Deep down, we have this need. I think all of us feel that way, except for one group of people. Right? There's one group of people that really doesn't want to be known, right? The, the group of people who, who have secret sins or, or hidden issues that they really don't want the world to know about. And if they could, they'd keep God from knowing about it. Scripture calls this group of people those who love living in darkness, and they fear the light because what happens when you're brought into the light is that the, those mistakes are revealed, and you're vulnerable and weak and, and open to shame and humiliation. But God, God's heart is probably to especially know those individuals because he longs to bring them from the darkness into the light, not for shame or humiliation, but for healing, for restoration and for renewal, for grace, for life. Huh. Right, and only being known by God 
and receiving His love and His grace and His renewal gives us courage to be the same way with one another, to admit our shortcomings, to share our weaknesses so we can build each other up, so that we can really know who we are without making assumptions, but to really get each other and to care about each other and to love each other. Nathaniel responds to Jesus, and he says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, Jesus could have, like, filled in any, any type of information about Nathaniel's life because he knows Nathaniel. He could have quite easily, like, shared, okay, I know what you did last summer. Nathaniel, come on, it's me. But he says, I saw you under the fig tree. Right? And the see is more than just ocularly observe. It's to know I knew you deeply and personally when you were under the fig tree. And that phrase kind of stuck in my head this week, under the fig tree, because it just it sounds weird. Like, what a, a vaguely ambiguous thing to say. And it made me wonder if it was an idiom. Like in English, an idiom is this phrase that says something and conveys a meaning that has absolutely nothing to do with the words that you're actually using, like up a creek without a paddle, or barking up the wrong tree, or by the skin of your teeth, right? If you were to translate those from English into another language, they would look at you like you're a weirdo. Well, it just so happens that under the fig tree is one of those sayings in Hebrew, Uh, Rabbinic history would teach that the rabbis would teach their students that when you spend time with God in prayer and devotion, that's your time under the fig tree. When you're communicating with God, when you're getting to know His heart and sharing your heart with Him, that's your time under the fig tree. So Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. The conversation you were having with God, I heard it. I'm him. Nathaniel's eyes are like, his mind is blown. He's like, it's you. You are my Lord. You are my God. You are my king. Rabbi, teach me. See, Nathaniel is roused awake from his slumber. His heart is awakened, and he is now on fire for Jesus. He gets that this is the guy, this Jesus of Nazareth, this humble place of beginning, the son of Joseph, the specific person in time and history is the same as the Messiah promised to come. This is the Lord. He had just been talking to under the fig tree, is talking to him now face to face. And this changes everything for Nathaniel. We're invited to spend time under the fig tree today. I wonder what your fig tree looks like. Right, all of us have different places that we like to go to and cherish uh, where we connect with God well. 
right? For some people, it's the beach. They love the sound, the smells, the waves, the wind, the sand, the, the openness of the sky and the horizon, and, and they commune with God in that space. For others, it's, it's out in, in other places in nature or on, on a mountaintop experience where you've climbed a mountain, exerted the effort, and looking out at the expanse of what God has created and His awe and the majesty just overwhelms you. Well, there are three places in particular in the Old Testament where we see evidence of this fig tree kind of moment. And I want to share those with you today because I think they're important because that's where we can spend time to get to know the heart of a God who has already gotten to know us deeply. The first shows up in Micah chapter 4. In Micah chapter 4, we learn that this under the fig tree is a place where we can worship God with freedom. Here's what Micah says. Micah chapter 4, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and people shall flow to it and many nations shall come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths and he shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. Here's the peaceful part. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, but they shall sit, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. This place under the fig tree is where you can, in total freedom, come and worship God. According to the George Washington Presidential Library, George Washington was very keen on this phrase, under the fig tree. In fact, in his correspondence and letters, over 50 times he's used this phrase, under the fig tree, especially in the context of the American Revolution and the end of that war and the ability to be free and spend time with God. Spend time in God in worship and prayer and devotion. The second time we see this pop up is in Zechariah chapter 3. And here we find out that the time that you spend under the fig tree is a time where you just bask in the grace and forgiveness atonement of God and invite others to experience that same thing. Zechariah writes, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing on his right hand to accuse him. Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor, here's that invitation, invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Right under the fig tree is where you enjoy and celebrate the forgiveness of God. Under the fig tree is where you bring other people in along with you on your journey and invite them to encounter this grace of God also. It's a place where in your faith you grow 
in the context of your relationship with other people in real and transparent ways. And the third and final place this appears in the Old Testament is in 1 Kings. And here we find out that that under the fig tree is a place of prosperity and peace that's meant to be shared with others. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen, 20 pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. For he had dominion over the region west of the Euphrates from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. See, under the fig tree is where you recognize your vast abundance and you share it generously with those around you. You make a difference in your neighborhood in such a way that that others see and know God as the great provider. It's been my prayer this week that you would hear God's call to spend your time under the fig tree. Like an everyday moment that you come and draw near to God, to a place where God comes to find you, that He would find you spending time under the fig tree this week. And those three areas, it just, it couldn't help but in my mind register that the place where we come to see God, to know who He is, to receive His gifts, like the first text have to do with our worship and our worship gatherings here that right now we are under that fig tree. The branches of that fig tree are stretching out over this room right now. That every time you open God's Word and dig into it deeply and, and breathe it in, let it inwardly digest in you, and you pray in response, you are under that fig tree. From that second reading, any time that you encounter life with other people and you share it together with grace and forgiveness, when you grow your discipleship and spiritual formation with other people, you're under the fig tree. And every time you, you, you take stock in all that God has given you and you look at how, how can I make an impact in my neighborhood with what God has given to me, those are like community connections stretching that fig tree branch out throughout Central Florida. Would you let God finds you this week spending time under the fig tree and as you spend time there get to know a God who already knows you inside and out and loves you enough to bring healing and change into your life